When the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, does that apply to animals or birds? How about mosquitoes, flies in the kitchen, or wood ticks? Today we will see what the Bible actually has to say about this important topic. I will also be sharing an excerpt from my book, Devotions for Dog Lovers. I think you'll enjoy it. host has spent decades studying the Bible in the original languages. He holds degrees from the University of Wisconsin, Moody Bible Institute, Asbury Theological Seminary, and Bethel Theological Seminary. With the help of some of his friends, in 1994, Dr. Rako founded a national volunteer ministry to hunters. He is an author, dog trainer, and speaker. Tom served as a full-time pastor for 36 years. Now here is your host, Dr. Tom Rako. He froze motionless next to a clump of long brown grass. This liver and white German short-haired pointer was locked on a ring-necked rooster. His right front paw was raised and his excited nose stretched forward. The pheasant with its spectacular plumage was crouched and poised to explode for better cover. What a sight. The dog had been a gift from a family friend and the pheasant was one of hundreds I'd raised and then released as part of a high school agricultural class project. Decades later, this first observance of a dog in point still remains a magnificent memory to me. But just where was that pointer pointing? There are those who would argue that such a sight simply reveals specific characteristics or traits which have developed due to evolution or smart selective breeding. However, according to the Bible, such beauty and design must eventually be traced back to the invisible God who created all things. Indeed, as the Apostle Paul reminded his readers in Rome, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. The fact is, God has left his invisible fingerprints all over creation, and every person in her or his heart of hearts knows this to be true. So where was that pointer pointing? the exact same place that the brightly colored rooster pheasant was pointing towards the invisible God who made all creatures great and small. Well, does the commandment thou shalt not kill found in the book of Exodus chapter 20 apply to animals and birds? When we come back, we'll see what the Bible actually says about this topic. You can learn more about the book that tells this true story and others. For example, find out how dogs in Bible times were used to fulfill specific prophecies. Discover how some dogs with disabilities did some amazing things. Hear how a dog collected money for orphans. Learn about the first canine to be launched into outer space. Gain insight as to how God is using dogs in our world today and much more. 
To order your copy of Devotions for Dog Lovers, go to the Rock Dove Publications website at www.rockdove.com. Again, to get your copy of Devotions for Dog Lovers, visit rockdove.com. Have you ever felt guilty about killing an insect? How about an animal or bird? I received this email from a concerned anti-hunter. I happened to stumble onto your page and find it very distressing. For some reason, Jesus and the killing of God's creatures does not seem to go hand in hand. Does the Bible not say, Thou shalt not kill? May God guide you away from murder and on to the path of peace, true peace for all creation. Some time ago, one of the local television stations in the area of the country where I live devoted a significant segment of the evening news broadcast to a fanatic standing on a street corner. This member of a well-known animal rights activist group was holding a banner which stated, Thou shalt not kill, Exodus 20, verse 13. Sadly, the organization this particular fellow was representing claims that the Bible condemns the killing of all animals. But perhaps almost as tragic as the way in which the biblical command, Thou shalt not kill, was misused, was the manner in which a liberal theologian consulted by the television station miserably failed to address the issue. Now, without a doubt, there were some viewers who readily accepted and perhaps even applauded this politically correct but rather unorthodox interpretation of the Bible. Those who put together this particular news segment actually ended up lending a degree of credibility to the group's total misapplication of the biblical text, Thou shalt not kill. Unfortunately, since that time I have come across others who openly profess to be Christians, but, like the fanatic, also quote, Thou shalt not kill, in order to condemn hunting. Nevertheless, when we look at God's Word, and especially the Old Testament book of Exodus from where these words, Thou shalt not kill, were quoted, we see that this is an obvious, and in some cases it would appear a purposeful, misuse of the Holy Scriptures. In fact, in the book of Exodus, we see that the killing of animals is not only allowed, but in some situations it was explicitly ordered by the Lord. You see, in the very same chapter of Exodus where we find the words, Thou shalt not kill, we also find a specific command for animal sacrifices to be made. The Hebrew people were instructed to make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle, Exodus chapter 20, verse 24a. According to the Mosaic Law, worship, which was proper and pleasing to God, frequently involved the willful putting to death of livestock. Indeed, the same creator of cattle and sheep also revealed that there were occasions and situations when they should be sacrificed. Of course, it is clear that the sacrificial system was, at least in part, intended to convey the seriousness of human sin. We also find the destruction of dangerous animals was demanded. Yes, the book of Exodus also shows us that the destruction of dangerous animals was sometimes demanded. We see that the death of a bull was commanded if it was deemed to be out of control or had caused the death of a human. In Exodus 21, we're told, If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull must be stoned to death, and its meat must not be eaten. Verse 28. 
Now, most certainly, this divine order would have prevented unnecessary gorings from taking place and thereby saved the lives of humans. It is common knowledge among those who work with cattle that once a bull has crossed over such an unseen barrier and actually charged a human, there remains the distinct possibility he may very well do it again. In fact, on a couple of memorable occasions on the farm, I had the unfortunate experience of being chased around by a thousand plus pounds. In both instances, to ensure it never happened again, these little bulls quickly went to the market. In addition, we also find that the death of animals was required when the Lord called for the construction of a worship center. When we turn to the book of Exodus, we find that the Lord specifically charged his people to build a portable worship facility called the tabernacle. Basically, the tabernacle was a big tent that traveled with the Israelites in the wilderness after their release from slavery in Egypt. We're told that this sacred tent was to be constructed from ram skins dyed red and hides of sea cows, Exodus chapter 25, verse 5. The Hebrew term translated sea cows is not clear. It may refer to the hides or skins of dolphins or porpoises or perhaps even seals. The Lord could have selected another type of material for the tabernacle, yet... For whatever reason, the fact still remains, he chose hides. Then there were the plagues that took place in Egypt, and recorded in the book of Exodus as well. There were times when the death of some creatures helped demonstrate God's power. The Bible reveals that it was the Lord himself who brought plagues on both the people of Egypt and their land. These plagues ultimately resulted in the death of such living creatures as fish, Exodus 7.21, frogs, Exodus 8.13, and livestock, Exodus 9.6. Some Bible scholars are convinced that a primary purpose for the plagues was to demonstrate the power of the God of Israel over any and all other so-called gods or established earthly powers. Before the plague, which brought about the death of various kinds of firstborn, the Lord explained, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Exodus 12.12 It was also in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, once again in the very same book of the Bible where we find, Thou shalt not kill, that the Lord commanded that a Passover lamb be killed and eaten by the Hebrews. This meal, which carried a great deal of spiritual significance, was ordered just prior to their liberation from Egypt. The Passover meal ultimately became a perpetual teaching tool. The Lord directed that the meal, along with the particular ritual associated with it, was to be repeated down through the centuries. By rehearsing this event, the Hebrew people were to reflect on how the Lord had brought about their great deliverance from the Egyptian bondage. There were also times when the Lord used an incredible abundance of food to demonstrate his power. His surplus could supply needs or show his displeasure. Let's take, for example, the time when the Lord directed Moses to tell the Israelites that they would be eating meat for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it, Numbers chapter 11, verse 20. Moses evidently struggled with making such an unbelievable statement. Apparently, the thought of it greatly stretched his faith. This seems quite clear from Moses' initial response. The scripture state, But Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? 
Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Numbers 11, verses 21 to 22. Of course, we know that God did just as he said he would do. The Bible tells us that on the next day he provided plenty of quail. The scriptural record reveals, Now wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. Numbers chapter 11, verse 31. This massive provision of quail came to a group that asked for meat. Nevertheless, requests which had stemmed from extremely selfish motives ultimately required the death of a tremendous amount of wildlife. Clearly, the Lord's response in sending quail displayed his incredible power in a very convincing fashion. However, we need to realize and remember that it also required the killing of a whole lot of quail. Many people are surprised to find that God instituted specific guidelines regarding animals and birds in the Mosaic Law. These directives are helpful in revealing a divine concern for the non-human members of creation. They include such things as rest on the Sabbath, Exodus 20, verse 10, and 23, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, 14, the way work was to be accomplished, Deuteronomy 22, 10, and 25, verse 4, provisions of food to be left for wild animals, Exodus 23, 10 to 11, Leviticus 25, 6 to 7, and proper treatment of a bird with her young, Deuteronomy 22, verses 6 to 7. Still, such laws, although they give evidence of God's concern for and care of his creation, neither negate nor subtract from the Lord's allowance for humans to be permitted or at times to even be commanded to take the life of an animal or a bird. The Bible contains clear provisions and concise regulations for both the hunting and the handling of wild game that had been harvested. For example, there are instructions in the scriptures regarding what hunters must do with the blood of an animal or bird that they were able to harvest. These are what I like to refer to as divine hunting regulations. These divine hunting regulations were not just to be adhered to by the Hebrews, but also by anyone and everyone else who happened to be living or hunting in the land. Indeed, the Lord was to be acknowledged and revered in even the most obscure locations. This is true whether an animal was killed on the backside of a desert, high on a mountainside, or next to a well-watered riverbank. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 13, the Bible commands, Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth. We are then told why the blood of these animals and birds needed to be drained. Because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14. The blood of animals and birds was and is to be valued. According to the Bible, blood is considered equivalent to life, and life, indeed all kinds of life, should be considered precious. Nevertheless, the fact that hunting has been an important part of God's plan is apparent in that these specific hunting regulations were included in the Mosaic Law. However, in order for an animal rights activist group to claim that the command thou shalt not kill applies to animals or birds, they must either reject 
or ignore the clear provisions and directives revealed in Leviticus chapter 17, verses 13 and 14. It should also be pointed out that the scriptures make it clear that certain animals were permissible to eat. While some animals may be classified as domestic, others included in one particular list are clearly wild. In Deuteronomy 14, verses 4 to 5, the word of God states, These are the animals that you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You can also see Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 15 to 16. It is clearly wrong for anyone to try and claim that thou shalt not kill applies to animals. Those who try to do so are either unknowingly or willfully ignorant of these and other relevant Bible passages. These portions of Scripture clearly reveal that the eating of wild game was allowed by God. Finally, when we examine the Hebrew word, which is translated killed by the King James Version and murder in the New International Version, we find that thou shalt not kill is obviously referring to humans and not animals. In his careful yet concise analysis of the word's root, Bible scholar William White concludes and writes in the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, In only one case in the whole Old Testament is a root used of the killing of a man, by an animal, Proverbs 22, verse 13. It is man's crime against man and God's censure of it, which is uppermost. Therefore, to try and twist the standard use of this term in order to make it fit with an unorthodox application of sacred scripture, and at the same time to be doing so in direct violation of both the immediate and wider context of the passage, is dishonest. Redefining the Hebrew term translated kill or murder so that individuals are led to believe that the term applies to animals or birds most certainly requires a radical redefinition of the Hebrew term itself. Well, there's much more we could look at, and we will look at some more. In fact, when we come back, I'll make some concluding remarks and give you an idea of what we're going to be looking at next time. I think you'll be interested. Hunting Miracles, Ancient and Modern, contains true stories of how God has worked in the lives of hunters down through history. This unique work, edited by Dr. Tom Rako, contains true stories by nine different contributors. In Hunting Miracles, readers discover miracles that took place on hunts more than a thousand years ago. See how God has used deer, ducks, geese, and even wood ticks to reveal His power and presence. Be encouraged by how the prayers of desperate hunters have been answered in amazing ways. To order your copy of Hunting Miracles, go to the Rock Dove Publications website at rockdove.com. Again, to get your copy of Hunting Miracles, be sure and visit rockdove.com. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today. And just to conclude, to maybe summarize, when we address thou shalt not kill, the primary problem with using the argument thou shalt not kill in order to build a case against hunting is that it's applying this passage to animals in a completely unjustifiable way. Such an interpretation miserably fails to take into account clear commands where the taking of the lives of animals was required and specific hunting regulations that are found in the Mosaic Law, as well as a food list which included both domesticated animals and wild game. 
and this misuse violates both the obvious meaning of the Hebrew term behind the translation, as well as the immediate and surrounding context of the command, Thou shalt not kill, found in Exodus 20, verse 13. Well, when we come back next time, we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about Jesus being a vegetarian. You know, there are those who claim Jesus was a vegetarian. Well, what does the Bible say? We'll look at that next time. I think you'll be fascinated by that as well. You've been listening to the Rock Dove Publications podcast with your host, Dr. Tom Rako. This program has also been brought to you by the Quilted Arrow, home of intelligent, stylish, field-bred English pointers with bloodline streams from Hall of Fame champion Guardrail. Thank you so much for listening. Now this is Beth Rako inviting you to join us again next time on the Rock Dove Publications podcast. <music>